Well, good morning and Happy New Year. Uh, it's great to be with you today. If you have a, a Bible, do you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, if you don't, don't worry, it will appear on the screen. But we are going to be looking at the Holy Spirit for a little series to start this year. And we're going to be doing a series called Encounter on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be in that through, through January. And if you're new to Christianity and new to the church, I hope it will really help you because the Holy Spirit is probably the, the person of, in God, the person of the Trinity, the Christian understanding of the three-in-one God, that is the one that's hardest to understand or engage with or relate to if you're new to Christianity. And if we're honest, actually, a lot of people who have been Christians a long time find that too. Um, my guess is if you are new to Christianity, that you, you may, may or may not know, but Christians believe in one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but three persons and one God. And that, the, of those three persons, the Father is quite easy for people to understand because we know what a Father is, and Jesus the Son is quite easy to understand because we know Jesus is a, a historical man, and so we can understand what he did and what he said, and we know what a Son is. But the person of the Holy Spirit can seem a bit shadowy and mysterious. And what exactly is he? How, do, how should we think about him? How should we relate to him? And so it may be that if you're not from a Christian background, you come in and you even hear the language of the Holy Spirit, and he even sounds a little spooky. I mean, Jesus calls him the helper. Jesus is actually quite practical about him and says he is like a helper or a, an advocate or a comforter a strengthener. He is someone who comes alongside you and helps you like the way that Jesus helped you. And that's the way that Jesus wants us to think of him. And in, in that sense, he, he is, Jesus describes him as having been poured out on the whole church so that he is a person, a he, not an it. He is a person who helps us and carries us through and strengthens and empowers us in ordinary life. But even so, there are quite a few Christians who struggle to understand how we are to relate to him. And if that's true of Christians, which I think it is, it's bound to be true of people who are not Christians. So if you are not very familiar with Christianity today, probably the person of the Holy Spirit will be a tricky thing to probably maybe something you're not thought about. And that actually will be true for a lot of believers as well, because a lot of Christians read scripture and hear instructions, be filled with the Spirit, you know, being, being baptized in the Spirit, encountering, being empowered by the Spirit, sealed by the thing. I don't know what to do with those things. What does that mean? Help me see what it looks like in life. I don't understand. And that might be the experience of many of us. And probably it will depend a little on our church background. My guess is some of us in this room have come from a church background where the person and work of the Holy Spirit was the main thing that we would pride ourselves on knowing and, and having part of our lives. So we might say, that's a real strength of our church. But there will be others who would say, the person of the Holy Spirit was rarely mentioned in my church experience. And if he was, it wasn't really quite clear to me growing up in that context what that was like or what he, how I was supposed to relate to him. And then, of course, there would be many of us who don't have a church background at all. And so we're just expected to sort of pick this stuff up. And to us, as I say, the Spirit might sound a little spooky, like a guy in a sheet, the Holy Ghost. It sounds, ooh. And so we wanted to give some time, four Sundays through this, this month of January, to, to look at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, and particularly how we engage with Him and experience Him and encounter Him. And so what we're doing is 
teaching through a series of images the Bible uses to describe the way in which we encounter the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, being drenched or baptized, being empowered, being sealed by the Spirit. We wanted to do that on Sundays, but not just to preach this, but actually then for us to have an opportunity, as we will in a few minutes, to respond in prayer and encounter with God the Holy Spirit after the message, and then also to gather midweek on Wednesdays to pray in our encounter evenings and actually to cry out to God and to look to encounter Him together, because this is something we do as a corporate community. And so this Wednesday, Wednesday the 9th, will be the first of those encounter evenings. And I'd encourage you to come and pray as we do get together to seek God and encounter Him together. But today we are going to start that series by looking at what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirits, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of God. Paul is urging, in most of this passage, Paul's urging Christians who are those who are in the light, as he puts it, to be imitators of God and to walk in love. You want to be godlike? Who wouldn't, want to, who wouldn't want to be godlike? Who wouldn't want to be loving as a person? You want to be a loving person? What does that look like? Well, here's how, Paul says. This is what it looks like to be a godlike, loving person, sexually, verbally, financially. And then he explains in, towards the end of that passage where the power comes from to live like that. But actually, there's a lot of, in that sense, do's and don'ts in much of this passage. Do look carefully how you walk. 
Don't be unwise, but be wise. Do make the best use of the time. Don't be foolish. Do understand the will of the Lord. Don't get drunk on wine. And then towards the end of that series of do's and don'ts, he comes in with this one, which tells us where the power comes from. Do be filled with the Spirit. And that instruction, be filled with the Spirit, that's where you'll get the power to do these other things. That instruction is then, if you like, explained through four things that it will look like if you do. If you are filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, and if that happens, you will find yourself addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's the key bit of this text for our message this morning. Be filled with the Spirit, and in doing that, you will find these four things go with that. Yet even in charismatic or Pentecostal circles, that is, circles of churches where people believe in the activity of the Holy Spirit for today and are expecting him to move powerfully among us, I still find a lot of confusion about what it actually means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And people would hear a text like that, yes, I know, be filled with the Spirit. Yes, yes, yes. What I do, and it, I tell you why I think it's tricky to do, how, the question that it might raise, you might not put it in this form, but one of the questions you, it confronts you with is, how on earth do I obey a passive verb? Right? That, might not be, that might be what you call it, but how, be filled. That's just, just a strange thing to do. If I say, I want you to phone so-and-so, phone your mum, then you go, okay, that's fine, I get my phone out. And I'll but if I say, be phoned by your mum, you go, how on earth do I do that? That's, how do I obey a passive verb? That's a very strange idea. It's not something we do in any other context I can think of. And so we ask ourselves, well, so what is this be filled? Like, is that an experience I'm supposed to have? And if so, what do I do about it? Is it a habit I'm supposed to develop? Or a practice I'm supposed to do? And if so, again, what is it exactly? If you're a conservative type, a lot of my con- conservative friends in their Christianity will probably stress the habit part. And they will insist, rightly, that there are, there's a parallel passage in Colossians which talks about the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. So, and I've heard someone do this and preaching on this passage and very quickly going and saying, to be filled with the Spirit is really to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then they talk about being filled with the Bible. And you think, well, that's, that's certainly part of it. But I don't think that's the whole story what Paul is talking about here. But that's how a conservative type will, will go at it. They'll say, this is really about developing the habit of allowing God's word to dwell in you more and more. And that is certainly part of the picture. But that's where you'll go if you're from a more yeah, conservative background. If you're from a more charismatic or Pentecostal background, you'll probably stress the experience more. And you will say, actually, this is more about the, the thing that happens to you rather than the thing that you do. They will refer to the baptism or the drenching with the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at next week. And they'll go to the stories of the baptism and the Spirit in the book of Acts. And they will say, actually, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to ask and wait for the experience of the person of the Holy Spirit. And so then, refectory, is it a habit or an experience? And of course, some people will emphasize the habit and some will emphasize the experience. And it makes us ask that question, is this a habit or an experience? Or is it both? And it, either way, what am I actually supposed to do? Like, how do I obey a passive verb? Uh, for a moment, this is where speaking English doesn't help us, okay? And some of you are going, amen, because that's not my first language. But for, for many of us, just we are bound by our language 
to miss a very important connection that you would know if you could speak the language, actually, both of the New Testament, Greek, and the Old Testament in Hebrew. You would get, and it might be, in your language, these words are more closely associated. If you, you see, if you speak Greek or Hebrew, among other languages, then the word for spirit would also be the word for wind, which would also be the word for breath. Right? All three of those words, Old Testament and Ruach, and the New Testament is pneuma, and those words are really the same word with those different implications. Spirit, wind, and breath. Now in English, that connection is lost, because we have the word breath from the Old English pret, meaning scent or aroma. Then we have spirit from the Latin spiritus, meaning breath or spirit. And then we have wind from the German wind, meaning wind, unsurprisingly. So in our language, be filled with the spirit, being filled kind of implies an aquatic image or like an image of liquid. So if I tell you be filled, the filling sounds like a cup with water being poured into it, and then it gets up to a certain point, and then it's full. That's what it sounds like, right? And some of us probably picture the filling with the Spirit that way. But if you spoke Greek or Hebrew, you would hear that instruction in a very different way. Because if you were being told, be filled with the Spirit breath wind, it would have different associations for you. And you would, it would be like saying to a trombone, be filled with the breath. Make this deep, rich sound that blares out and fills the room with noise on the strength of having been filled with breath by someone else. Or even better, it might make you think of a sailing boat. Be filled with the wind, you might say, to a sailing boat. that was near where I live in, in Eastbourne. I live on the south coast. And 200 meters from my house, there are loads of boats just sitting there lining up waiting to go out. Some of them are fish boats. Some of them are sailing boats. And I walk past them regularly when I walk my dog or go out with my children and, but they're sitting there at this time of year, they're sitting there and their sails are down, right? They're just tied up, they're waiting, no one goes sailing around this time of year in the south coast of England, so every, the boats are all sort of in, just on the, sa- on the pebbles, and the f- sails are all furled up and they're not doing anything. And it's as if Paul is summoning Christians like those sails to say, you've got to be filled with the wind, you've got to raise your sails and allow the Spirit of God to come and fill you and take you somewhere, because you're not designed to stay there with your sails all wrapped up, you're supposed to be on the ocean, you're supposed to be traveling places with the empowering breath and spirit and wind of God in your sails. And that image of sailing a boat full of wind is incredibly helpful, I think, when it comes to the questions I was just raising. Is this a habit or is it an experience? Is it active or is it passive? Because, of course, the answer is yes. When you're sailing, is be filled with the wind an experience or a habit? And the answer is yes. Of course, it's both an experience and a habit. Right? You catch the wind on a sailing boat. If you've done that and you've been sailing... To catch the wind when you really get a gust behind you is an experience. Oh my, I remember the first time it happened to me, I was uh, in, the, in the Solent, just around the Isle of Wight in Hampshire, and we're sort of in between really, Lim, you know, Limington, Portsmouth, you know, that sort of area, and in between there and the, the northern shore of the Isle of Wight, and we caught a wind and a wave together and effectively like surfed this w- long wave with the wind behind us, powering us along. And it was one of the most exhilarating experiences of my life, and still is to this day. There is a, a power and an experience, a fullness, and you're just riding this thing, just with the wind powering behind you, going, whoa, I 
It's really something. It is a dramatic experience. I was, I don't know, 12 at the time and thought, this is just as good as it gets. And if you've had that, windsurfing or sailing, and you know what it's like to catch the wind like that, you will know this is an experience. This is something that happens to me. This is not something I work up by really scrunching my eyes extra hard and raising my hands out like that. This is something that an external power greater than me has done something, and I've caught it. But it is also a habit. It is also the result of a series of difficult things or persevering things that I've had to do. It's not an experience that happens out of nowhere. It's an experience that happens in conjunction with a series of things I have done to prepare myself to catch that incredible power from outside. I can tell you why. Because if you don't put the sails up, you don't go anywhere. The wind might blow, and the most that will happen is the waves will just bob you side to side. You don't go forward. There's no power. There's no impetus. There's no experience and exhilaration because your sails are down. It's like you're like the boats right now on the pebbles outside my house. You just look at, you'd think, well, there's that boat's not, doesn't matter how windy it is, it's not going to go anywhere. You see, if you don't pull the main sheet fast and then adjust the jib and get all the, the sails exactly where they need to be to catch the wind, you will fail to take advantage of the fact that the wind is blowing, even though it is. And I had that experience too as a child, and unfortunately on this occasion I was with my younger brother. We were in Chichester Harbour, which is a tidal harbour on the south coast, and I was, uh, I, I overestimated my abilities. I'm sure you'll all think that's impossible to believe, but I was kind of just like, I'm sure I can do it. And this is one of the worst experiences of my life because I was out in a tidal harbour without the capacity to catch the wind. The wind was blowing up the channel and I wanted to go, and you, you go want to go against the wind. You are in big trouble if you don't know what you're doing. And I didn't. And I, had, I was kind of 12 and my brother was about four and he was in the boat with me. And I just couldn't do it. And I was just getting stuck and more and more drifting. And it was it's terrifying. If you're that age, you don't know what you're doing. And I was just, in the end, I just burst into tears and didn't know what to do. Just sat there and this very kind guy saw that we were in trouble, came over in his boat and sailed me back to where my mum and dad were. You see, I, that made me realise it's not enough simply to have the wind blowing. I actually need to develop habits in order to catch and make best use of this mighty glorious power experience that is wanting to come to me but I will miss if I don't prepare myself to catch him. So being filled with the wind comes not only as an experience but it also comes with a degree of awareness or skill or you might say practice. It comes through habit. Yet even though it does, there's not a sailor in the world who would in their right mind think that I am working up this experience for myself. See, you might have had this experience where you, you, you know, rowing, and you go rowing for a while, and you think, wow, this is really tiring, and then you switch to sailing. And then you think, oh, this is the glorious difference between doing everything through my own muscles and doing everything in the power of the Spirit. And actually, that's a contrast Paul uses a lot. He says, you, you are not to live according to the flesh, which literally means, of course, the muscles. You are not to live according to the flesh. You're to live according to the spirit. doesn't mean you don't have to do anything. You put your sails up, but when you do, you catch the power that is beyond you rather than working this up yourself. Praise God. Sailing, in that sense, is the art of attentive responsiveness to an external power. You seek the external power to get you anywhere and you respond attentively to what it or he is doing. And being filled with the Spirit involves exactly the same both hands. 
You rely on the external power of the Spirit to get you anywhere. The experience. And you respond attentively to what he is doing. That's how you obey a passive verb. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the wind, the mighty power of God. In other words, it's a matter of both experience and habit. You need to feel something, in that sense, and you need to do something. So the conservatives are right that there's a lot of things we need to do in order to make the best use of this glorious gift of the person of God given to us. And the charismatic Pentecostals are right that there is something that will happen to you when you do that is empowering and enlivening and an experience that you know you've had. And my encouragement to us would be simply, don't play down either of those dimensions. Don't play down the habit or the experience. Don't play down the need for experience. That's a challenge for some of us. There's a, but there is a reason why Paul, did you notice in the text we read, contrasted in verse 18 being filled with the Spirit to being drunk with wine. That's his contrast. Don't get drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. You think, why, why was that the contrast? He could have compared, he could have paired it with any experience. Why did he contrast the filling with the Spirit with drunkenness? Now, I am not the guy who says, and therefore being filled with the Spirit is the same as being drunk, because it is clearly not. Having said which, you've got to notice it doesn't only happen here. It also happens on the day of Pentecost. That people are filled with the Spirit and then people seeing them say they're filled with new wine. They're drunk. There is clearly something about experiencing the joy of the Holy Spirit that is similar in certain ways to being filled with wine. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great commentator on Ephesians, he, I love the phrase, he said, when, you, when someone is filled with wine, you say that they are under the influence. When someone is filled with the Spirit, you say that they are under the influence. And I think that's a really helpful way. doesn't mean that you lose all your faculties. In fact, you become more human, not less. It doesn't mean you go and do stupid things and smash windows and sleep around or anything that might happen if you get too drunk. But what it does mean is that you are now under the influence of an external power who actually brings you a sense of joy and delight and song that is in some ways somewhat similar to what happens when people drink wine. Another image the New Testament uses, we'll look at it more next week, is the image of being baptized or drenched, which once again is a very experiential image, isn't it? It's something which you know has happened to you. I often think about the guy who got baptized in the church I used to be a pastor of in Eastbourne, who came along, got baptized by immersion in the tank, got out again, stood on the side, and was dripping wet onto the floor. And I said, Alan, did you bring a towel? Because he was just water everywhere. And he just said, I assumed one would be provided. He was just soaking all over the floor. And I laughed and was like, oh, yeah, we don't, don't always do that, sorry. But he's just pouring water off him. And I thought, that's what happens when people have been drenched. It's an experience. You know you've had it. And so the Bible uses very rich experiential words to describe an encounter of the Holy Spirit. And I'd encourage us, in fact, Paul would tell us, pursue experience of the Holy Spirit. Don't hold back. Don't think, this is simply something I need to do or something I need to understand. If you're a very, a more intellectual kind of person, this will be, like I am, it might be somewhere where you're strong. You go, I like understanding and learning and that's good. It's wonderful to know the Bible and know God's ways. But ultimately, this is not only that. This is also something that happens to you. This is a, a drenching, a filling, an empowering that God wants to pour His Spirit out on your life in greater measure. 
And you need to ask him to and expect him to when he says he will. So don't play down the need for experience. But at the same time, even the word pursue experience implies a certain degree of action, doesn't it? Or a habit or something you have to do. You need to cultivate habits that will enable you, like the sailor, to catch the wind of God's Spirit as he moves upon you. And Paul gives four things in this text that we are to do that are associated with the filling with the Spirit. And they're all good things to do. And they will all not only flow from, but also enable the filling of the Holy Spirit. He says you are to be addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That is, you want to, you want to experience more of the goodness of God? Tell one another in worship and in encouragement the goodness of God and do it through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You'll find that as you declare, testify, and sing of the goodness of God, that His Spirit will begin to fill you. Because the Spirit loves to set fire to the truth of who Jesus Christ is and draw you upwards towards His God and Father. He loves doing that. And you'll find the Spirit will catch you as you address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Secondly, he says, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Don't underestimate the connection between music and spirituality. Don't, don't act as if that's somehow a sort of, oh, no, no, this is all just about mood and atmosphere. No, the Word of God talks this way regularly. You want somebody, somebody wants to, I need somebody to prophesy in the Old Testament? Hey, bring me a musician. Because there is something about our response in song to the goodness of God that causes something to happen spiritually to us. And that's a God-given thing that's in the Scriptures. Of course, it can be manipulated. and I'm not arguing for that, but there is something. Don't underestimate the power of singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Because as you do, the Holy Spirit will catch that truth and that joy. He will fire delight in God as you do it. We are embodied creatures. What our bodies do affects our souls. So sing! And we do that. This is a, this is a strength of this church, right? So this is not, no, 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 I know that, right? But we've got, to, we've got to understand, this is how Paul expects us to respond. Thirdly, he says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus. You want to experience more of the Spirit? Thank God for things in the name of Jesus. Right? Be filled with the Spirit, thanking God, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. Right? That you thank God for things, and strange as it as basic as it may sound, you will find yourself being filled with the Spirit as you thank and praise God for his goodness. It's a very easy you think, I'm on the bus, right? How do I get filled with the Spirit? Right now, in this moment, I'm not going to probably start praying loudly out in tongues and standing like this. And you might, but probably that's not going to be your approach. How do I? And so, well, Paul will say, be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always and for everything to God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you'll do. And I do that a lot. I'm just there in order like, Lord, thank you. And start listening as you praise and as you thank. The Holy Spirit owns that thankfulness and praise because he loves to bring delight to us. And actually... This is a point C.S. Lewis makes. It's a, a beautiful point. But Lewis says, you find that you delight. He says, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not only expresses but completes the enjoyment. That is, when you thank God for stuff and when you praise God for who he is, you don't only say thank you, you also complete your enjoyment of the thing you're thanking him for. Have you found that? 
you know, you watch a really good movie and with no one, you won't go on your own, and you come, this is amazing. You feel like you have to tell someone. This is, I've done it, the, you know, did you see the sunrise this morning? No. Oh, it was amazing. You've, it's in telling them, you are actually completing your enjoyment of the thing that you've seen and delighted in. And in that sense, we, as we thank God for the good things he's done in Jesus, we also renew our enjoyment of those things. And then finally, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, which might sound odd. You might think, wow, that's not what I'd have finished. You know, sing, address one another with psalms and hymns, and give thanks for everything. And you would expect another sort of worshipy kind of theme, but actually, Paul says, and submit to one another. What's that got to do with being filled with the Spirit? But I think, if you think about it, attentive responsiveness to the Spirit. Where is he going? Where is the wind blowing? Okay, that's right. Pull the sails in. Yes, I want to catch what God is doing. When you are attentively responsive to the Spirit, you will also find that you are much more responsive and attentive to the needs of the people around you. You will find yourself not only submitting to God, but submitting to the people around you. And specifically in this context, as if you know the, the passage, husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters actually in, this, in the ancient world context as well. This very strong sense, as you understand what the people around you need, you will respond wisely to it because you are full of the Spirit. And as you submit, you will find God's Holy Spirit takes on more and more of your life. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is both an experience and a habit. And that's how you obey a passive verb. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, don't get drunk on wine. You, there is something in you that wants an experience of being under the influence of something else, that wants joy, that wants freedom and happiness. And that's a good thing to desire. But don't look for that in wine, because wine will corrupt and dull your senses. And look for that in the person of the Holy Spirit who wants to set you free, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And as you pursue Him and are filled with Him, you will find yourself being taken to a joy and an experience of God you will never get from drinking or anything else. Pursue experience. Get your sails up. Be attentively responsive to the person of God. Develop habits. Teach one another. Sing. Give thanks. Submit to one another. We look forward to the day when the glorious presence of God will, and he will, fill all things. Like the waters cover the sea. But until then, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit, as a down payment who guarantees the rest is coming. And in the meantime, as we wait, rejoice in the Spirit. Rejoice now in anticipation of that day to come. Use the gifts of the Spirit. Cry out, Abba, Father. Thank, sing, submit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for not leaving us alone. Thank you that when Jesus ascended, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And the Holy Spirit will guide you and strengthen you. And you Thank you for the love of God that is expressed in the gift of the Holy Spirit to us. And we pray as we respond right now, as we sing, as we pray together on Wednesday night, as we gather in homes and meet with one another and just interact with other believers and unbelievers around this city, we pray that you would fill us with your Spirit. You would make us attentively responsive to your glorious presence. Fill us with joy and power and ultimately fill us with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.